This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Welcome to the Richard Blackbee Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam. I'm your host. And joining me to help take our leadership to the next level, we hope, <laughs> is Dr. Richard Blackbee. I, I can only do so much, Sam. Well, I only work with what I'm given. Hey, <laughs> that that is enough. That is enough. Well, uh, today we want to look at a passage of scripture, and uh, we've we've had fun uh, recently looking at questions from listeners and and doing some book reviews and biographies. But going straight to the book, the book today. Yeah. Yeah, John 17. There's a great uh, passage in John 17. I, I was a seminary uh, president for 13 years, and uh, at least twice a year, the board of trustees would gather in a meeting, and I'd give a report. And I had been entrusted with the care of this institution, the budget, the, the staff, the faculty, the students, and they would want to know, what have you done with them? Are, are things better? What kind of education are you providing them? And so whenever I look at Exodus or John 17, I'm always kind of struck with that it seems kind of a similar thing. Jesus has been their rabbi for three plus years. He's been teaching them and now he's about to leave them. Uh, and it, he meets with his father. And you remember, uh, in fact, even in this passage, he's going to say, you, you gave them to me. Uh, you entrusted them to me. And so Jesus, in a sense, is is uh, giving an account of his stewardship. And so I think any leader, whether you're a parent, whether you are in management, you're a pastor, you're a CEO, this is a great model. Uh, if Jesus is is reporting back to his father on his stewardship, then I think it's a good model of of seeing what Jesus thought was important. And so let me, yeah. I just want to highlight a couple of these verses here and uh, uh, John 17 verse one says, uh, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven. And so of course that's, we feel like that's probably how Jesus prayed. Jesus probably typically prayed with his eyes open, maybe standing at times looking upward toward heaven. And he said, father, the hour has come glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Um, and we've talked about this. Uh, Jesus had an, an amazing sense of timing and he says the hour has come. Mm. He, he's always had, he's always been very purposeful with his life and he knows that the time is up. He's only had a limited amount of time to invest in these disciples. And he has always been aware of that. And as a leader, I think we need to be always sensitive to the fact I may only have these people under my influence for so long. Maybe they move on to a different department. Maybe they get promoted. Maybe they graduate and they're not in my class anymore. Maybe they take another job. Maybe my kids grow up and they don't live under my roof anymore. I only have so much time to have an influence on the people in my direct uh, influence. So uh, while I have them here, what's the maximum influence I can have. And I, and I'm, I'm aware of that over the years, I've worked with a lot of different staff. I've had people that work very closely with me for years. And then either I left or they left or we switch roles and I didn't have that direct interaction like I used to have. And so you're asking yourself, well, but God, you gave them at me direct access and influence for three years. Um, what did I do with that time I had? And yeah. so don't assume that you're going to be in lifelong relationships with everyone you're leading. The hour, an hour is going to come when that 
that that opportunity has passed. And so uh, be a good steward of every life that's in your care. And he says, glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. And it seems like kind of a, I don't know if you've ever prayed, uh, Sam, uh, glorify me, Lord, so I can glorify <laughs> you. Um, but Yeah, that seems, seems a bit arrogant. Yeah, I don't know how often you've prayed that prayer, if this is uh, supposed to be a model for us. But uh, to glorify someone uh, can mean to lift up, uh, can mean to magnify someone. It's as if Jesus is saying, uh, Father, just put a magnifying glass over my life so that people can take a really close look at me. And so while people are beating me up and falsely accusing me and, and crucifying me, spitting in my face... Lord, when people take a close look at how I handle my suffering, my assignment, my life, may they come away with a higher view of you. And so sometimes the greatest influence you're going to have as a, as a leader is not necessarily by what you say, but by what people see, what they observe in you as you deal with false accusations and opposition and criticism uh, and attacks. Uh, and you, as you carry your cross, um, uh, will does that bring glory to God? And uh, w- yeah. would you be willing to pray and say, God, if it be your will, let me go through difficult times and mistreatment and uh, challenges. And may all the people that you've entrusted into my care, as they watch my life, may they come away with a higher view of you as a result. Mm. Oftentimes, uh, we forget that there are all these pairs of eyes watching us as leaders. And the question is, God, by the way I led, were you glorified? By what people saw in me as I was handling my challenges, did they come away thinking more of you? And then, of course, verse 3, a a verse my dad has used often in experiencing God, it's, this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God and the one you've sent, Jesus Christ. And uh, and there I think it's just saying that eternal life is a lot more than just everlasting life. It's, uh, yeah. it doesn't, eternal life doesn't, just doesn't mean, well, yeah, that's when I live forever in heaven. Um, eternal life is a quality of life. It's a life that is, that God experiences, that God wants you to have. It's, and it's, it's built upon an experiential knowledge of God the Father and God the Son. So, of course, that's something you can have now. You don't have to experience eternal life when you die. You can experience eternal life now, a quality yeah. of life that is based on a relationship with God. And, uh, and so, but then he goes on to verse 4 and he says, um, I've glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Uh, how does a leader bring glory to God? Well, you complete the work God gave you. And uh, this is a this is a verse that's been challenging to me because uh, at times we can be tempted to want to quit. We can be tempted to uh, say, I'm moving on. I've These people haven't appreciated me. They've opposed me. We're not seeing as much growth as I hope we would. Uh, maybe I need to just get my resume out there and find some other place to work. Uh, and I, I come back to this and it says, but the way you glorify God is completing what God gave you to do. And, and every time a pastor or a business leader, uh, an organizational leader tells me that they're looking for their next assignment, I'm always tempted to just ask, do you feel like you finished everything God called you to this job to do? When yeah. God made you the pastor, the CEO, the manager, 
he must have had a reason. He must have known there were some things that he would accomplish through your life when you were there. So can you check all those boxes and say everything God wanted me to do while I was here, I've done. So now my work here is done. I'm ready for my next assignment. Or are you leaving just because it's hard and you're frustrated and you're getting uh, just kind of irritated with these people and you want to find a different place to work? Um, And, you know, fortunately, I can say that whenever I've left a place uh, as a leader, it's always been in some of its healthiest condition it's ever been in. And so you can say it's not that there wasn't more work I could have done. But I think the primary contributions I needed to make, I've made, and now I'm going to turn it over to someone to build upon that. If they, if they will lead well and they will accomplish what God has for them, then this organization is going to just continue to move forward. Yeah. Um, and then, but verse, uh, when I look at verse six, uh, there's a lot there. It says, Jesus says, I've revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they've kept your word. And several things there that are very important. One is that he says, I've revealed your name to the people. And of course, in the Bible, your name is your character. And so what Jesus is saying is, basically, when when I got these 12 disciples, they really didn't know you, God, all that well. I mean, they'd gone to synagogue all their lives. They thought they knew you, but there was so much of you, God, they didn't really know. So Every time I was with them, when I was walking down the road, when I was teaching, when we were having meals together, I was constantly revealing to them who you really are. And yeah. uh, so, God, you're a holy God. And the, these men, they at times they could be kind of loosey-goosey about some sinful uh, attitudes and behaviors. And uh, they might kind of make light or joke about certain sinful things. And boy, when they got around me, I just revealed that hey, my God's holy, and uh, I live a holy life myself. I I want to be like holy as God is holy. And they came to have a much higher view of your holiness after being around me. And you're also a powerful God. And so because you're powerful, that meant that uh, even when, when we faced crises in our organization, I didn't, they didn't, my people didn't see me worrying and fretting and wringing my hands. They didn't see me losing my temper with people because I was under such stress because I lived my life as if I served an all powerful God. And when people, when we faced a crisis and everybody else was all, this is doom and gloom, they watched me as the leader. And I still was confident that you would protect us. You would provide for us, uh, that you would guide us through. And, the more that my people watch me, the more they came to realize, hey, our leader's God is a powerful God. Just look at the way he handles himself. And mm-hmm. so in, 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 and uh, it, it says, uh, Jesus will say in, in John 15 that, um, that when you do things God's way, the, the joy of Christ overflows in your life. God is a joyful God. And so um, sometimes you wonder when you're around certain people, how joyful their God is yeah. because they seem to be miserable and cranky all the time. But, but Jesus would have said, uh, no, you're, you're a, a God of joy. And th- so the more that they watched me relate to you, the more people came to know the character, the name of God, which is, and, and, uh, and so I, as a leader that what this says to me is, 
uh, I have a stewardship. The, the people are watching me and they are getting uh, an idea and understanding of what my God is like based yeah. on what they see in me as I lead. So he says, so I revealed your name to them. And then he says to the people that you gave me. Um, and so what he's saying is, Father, I didn't pick these disciples. You gave them to me. Uh, and that's, I think, why in Luke it says that uh Jesus prayed all through the night before he selected his disciples. And yeah. from that passage and then this passage, you get the idea that uh, that Jesus went alone with the Father and prayed, and the Father said, okay, here's who I want you to pick. And it's clear there was there were far more people that were following Jesus and in the in the crowds and and out of the crowds, Jesus prayed and said, Now which of these people do you want me to uh, walk with more closely and call to be my official 12 disciples? And the father said, okay, I want you to take uh, Peter, Simon Peter. And Jesus might be saying, well, isn't he a little, doesn't he always have to have the right answer? Doesn't he have to always be the center of attention in the classroom? He's always talking and not listening and yeah, but you need to have him. And then the father might say, and I want you to pick uh, Judas Iscariot. And Jesus is like, wait a minute, Father, isn't he, isn't he kind of a cut of a different cloth? And isn't he just kind of money hungry? And I don't know that I can trust him. And yeah, but you need him. You need a Judas in, in your ministry as well. Um, and, uh, and, and, and pick Thomas too. Well, doesn't he kind of struggle with belief sometimes? Doesn't he tend to lean toward doubting? Yeah, but he'll, he'll eventually get over that uh, with you. Just um, you know, call him too. And my dad is speculated. Maybe that's why he had to pray all night was because he needed the father to explain to him why he was giving him the particular disciples that he was giving him. Yeah. And I've often thought about that. If, if Jesus needed a Judas in his organization in order for him to bring glory to God by the way he lived his life and led, could it be that the father might say you need a Thomas or a Peter or even a Judas uh, for you to bring the maximum glory to God. And so it, it says you gave them to me, but he, but he says from the world. And I think we, we need to always remember that, that our, our people, our followers are coming to us from out of the world. Yeah. And which means they have been marinating in the world's values and viewpoints and ways of doing things their entire life. Uh, whether they realize it or not, they have been soaking in the world's ways. And that's where they've come from. So I, I'm, never, uh, I'm never surprised when someone working for me thinks or acts the way the world does. That, that's where they came from. Uh, it's my job as a leader to help them reorient themselves to be kingdom-minded uh, people. Yeah. And I don't assume that. That's why James and John will try to manipulate and uh, maneuver so they can get Jesus to agree to let them sit at the right hand and the left hand. Well, why do they do that? Well, because that's the way the world operates. The world tries to maneuver to get the best places. It strives for power. And James and John had grown up in the world. Now, they've been going to church. Uh, they were good religious people, but they still, that doesn't mean they didn't think the way the world did. Yeah. And so I find as a leader, one of the things I've got to be aware of is that 
they're going to come in thinking that to value the very same things that you value in the world. And, and so I, how do I reorient them to now start valuing the things God values and to see things the way God sees them? Uh, and, and that takes time and that takes intentionality. And so he says, uh, they were yours, you gave them to me and they've kept your word. And now they know everything you've given is, uh, you, that you have given is from you. Uh, which is interesting uh, sense of accountability because what he's saying is um, I've given them a lot of teaching and example, but they, they've come to believe that what I gave them I got from you, hmm. which is interesting. Could, could we as leaders say that? Could we, yeah. could we hold ourselves accountable where uh, we would say, uh, hey, I, I, I set this, these values in our culture, but, but they realize those values, that, that's not something I pulled out of the air just so we'd be a better company. I, it, it's because it's come from you. that it, I get my, my values out of your word and out of uh, my relationship with you. And, and if, I've, if I've had to call someone out, if I've had to maybe confront some unchristlike behavior in our workplace, uh, they realize it's not that I was just picking on them. It's that I had to say some hard things, but it, it came from you. Uh, or do they just feel like, well, Richard just is always on an ego trip or he, or really he just, he just went to another seminar last weekend and now he's coming back and he's pumping all that into our yeah. company. Uh, I've known some people that just dreaded every time their boss went to another conference because he'd come back and he would now have a whole new set of memos. We're going to implement all of this approach now. We're going to do this. And it's like, he didn't get that from God. He just got that from the, the last conference he yeah. went to. And the next conference, he'll change all that again. Um, and so I think that's an interesting thing where Jesus could say with confidence, they know that what I gave them came from you, God. Hopefully our people would know the same thing. Hmm. Uh, and then it, it just says, uh, one other thing it says uh, in verse 12, he says, while I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you've given me. I guarded them and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Uh, I, I like that phrase. None of them was, has been lost. Um, yeah. Again, Jesus is giving an account of a stewardship. You gave me 12 men. And I've tried to bring the very, God's very best out of all 12. I've loved them. I've, I've revealed what you are like to them. I've confronted things that are not honoring to you. Um, and one of them, Judas, had a purpose uh, to be a, a traitor. Uh, he was lost. But, um, but all the others uh, I've, I've kept, I've preserved. And, yeah. and you know, we can get, there's a lot of theology around Judas, but... Uh, in one sense, it kind of comforts me that even Jesus could not keep all 100% of his uh, staff, if you will, uh, on board. He lost one of them. But, but his heart was to, to protect and, and save them all. Yeah. And, he, and certainly Judas was given every opportunity and right. ministry to have followed Jesus and been loyal to him as well. It's not that Jesus ever mistreated him. Um, but he just made a bad choice, uh, obviously, but, uh, but I, but I, sometimes I, I want to look at the people God's put in my care as a leader and say, 
did I, did I squander some of those people? Did I just never, I, I should have invested more in them. I, I should have walked alongside them more. I, when, when I first noticed them struggling, I, I should have stepped in sooner and, and not let it get so far down the road. And, uh, you know, that person was fine uh, working with me, but I feel like there was a lot more potential I never developed. Uh, and they got discouraged or they got left kind of isolated and they got weary and they, they, they quit on me. And um, I, I wonder if I lost some good people just because I wasn't careful and observant enough. Mm. Um, well, good. Let's take a quick break here and we'll pick up when we come back. God's people keep praying for God to transform Washington, Hollywood, or Wall Street, but revival always begins with God's people. If there ever was a time America needed spiritual reawakening, it's now. Currently, 70% of churches have plateaued or are in decline. More than two-thirds of young people who grew up attending church are leaving the faith before they graduate college. In The Solomon Promise, best-selling author Henry Blackaby shares the path to a renewal of faith in America and the restoration of holiness to God's people. Order now at blackabystore.org. Links will be in the show notes. Richard, I, I, I've always loved the Gospel of John and uh, especially these passages, you know, about chapter 15 to 17. And there's just so much richness in there and so much that we can um, apply to our own leadership. And so maybe just in the last couple of minutes here, um, what are those last few lessons that you, you've been able to, to pull out of this episode in, in Christ's life? Well, uh, there's uh, so many uh, just wonderful truths there. Um, he says, uh, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. In other words, the, are, the culture of our organization is different. We, we, yeah. don't, we don't operate in our organization the same way that uh, they do in other ones. Uh, well, it's interesting because, you know, a few verses earlier, he pulled them out. You know, they came from the world. Yeah. And, and by the end of his time with them, they're no longer where they came from yeah and there's uh and i i've seen that in organizations where maybe staff had bounced around in other organizations where it was cutthroat and uh just do whatever you can to kind of get ahead and then they came into this company and realized hey it's totally different here and the longer that you worked in that place um the more, the more you realize this is different here. This is an oasis. Yeah. And, uh, and I had a couple of people, I remember one, one person that I hired and we, um, I protected this person. They, they could have been chewed up and, and, and kind of, uh, fallen on their, you know, their face a number of times, but, uh, kind of kept an eye out for him and, and really spoke into his life and helped him and gave him opportunities to get experience. And, and he was getting cared for like he'd never been cared for in a company before. I, I was absolutely certain of that. Um, but eventually he he looked around, found a job that could make him a little more money. And he, he loved our organization. He loved the people, but felt like he kind of needed to make a bit more money. And so he chased after the dollars. Well, as soon as he got to the other organization, he just realized this culture, I'm back into the fray here, mm. backbiting and lying and deception. And and uh, he went through a series of jobs after that, about every other year was losing his job because of just the totally different culture. Uh, and I don't think he, had, and he ultimately he, he confessed that 
the best job he ever had was working with us and that that was a big mistake when he had left that position but mm. but we sometimes they don't even realize you, you kind of get used to uh, a, an organization that has a great culture and you can forget that not everybody has that kind of culture and yeah. so yeah. and i find a really strong healthy culture will actually hold on to people uh because conversely, I had people take major pay cuts to come work for us because they did value uh, the culture. And yeah. you can retain employees when they begin to realize, uh, hey, you're just going to be treated differently there. It's uh, You can go to work and, and not get beat up all day. And you can be supported and cared about and so on. Two last things I would just say uh, about this uh, that I think are uh, that are important. One is, uh, verse uh, 13, it says, Now I'm coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy completed in them. And that's always been a convicting verse for me. Uh, I don't know how many leaders pray every day, God, oh, I just plead that my staff would have the same level of joy in their life that I have in mine. (laughs) Let, Lord, just let my joy be the measuring stick, uh, the goal for every employee. Oh, that we could just have as much joy in the Lord as our boss does. Hmm. Oftentimes, it's just the opposite. It's, yeah. uh, uh, oh, the boss is in a bad mood. I remember when I was working my way through college, I worked at a place that uh, word went out pretty quickly. Boy, the boss is on the rampage today. He, he's upset about something and sales are down or this got damaged and everybody's just trying to keep their head down so they don't get, you know, it, have it chewed off. And, uh, uh, but I wanted to pray and say, God help my joy set the tone. Uh, and I, re- I remember, uh, a couple years ago, I, I, every other year I go back to the seminary I used to be the president of, and I teach a class with the current president, my cousin, and we teach a leadership class. And uh, if, if you ever really want just to have an inspiring week of studying leadership, I encourage you to go up to Cochrane, Alberta, Canada one one year. Uh, looks like maybe we'll be next uh, May uh, 2022. Uh, and for a week, just study leadership. But, but uh, Rob and I would go for lunch every day uh, to some local restaurant, and then we'd come back to the seminary for the afternoon and one day, he and I were walking back in the door. And between the two of us, we've been the president of that school for over 27 years. So either one of us, one or the other of us, uh, between the two of us, that school has been led for approaching three decades by just the two of us. And so we're walking in the door, and we're just laughing. And we were joke cutting up, and we were being silly. He and I can really get going. He, yeah. we, I think we bring the best <laughs> out of each other, or the goofiest. And I remember afterward, one of the chief staff, the key staff people pulled me by uh, aside afterward and said, Richard, we always love it when you come up here because we, we, we hear the boss laughing, uh, mm-hmm. like we never hear him laugh, uh, as much when you're, as when you're here. And I, and I really was, that meant a lot to me because I mean, I love my cousin and he's doing an awesome job, but, uh, uh, but wouldn't it be wonderful if when when you entered the office the laughter went up and you could people could tell where the boss was by just listening to where the laughter was coming from in the office uh and so yeah if if you can't pray that prayer god if, if praying god give everyone else i work with the same level of joy i have 
If that would actually mean they had a reduction in joy, then (laughs) you need to perhaps ask God, do it work in my heart. Um, Mm -hmm. And then lastly, verse 19 is just, I think, a really important verse. It says, uh, I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And uh, of course, we need to sanctify ourselves for our, ourselves. I mean, to, sanctifying yourself means that you are being holy. It means that you are setting yourself apart for, for God and for mm-hmm. his work. And it means that you are becoming more like Jesus. But here in verse 19, Jesus said, I become more like Jesus, if you will. I become sanctified uh, for their sake. I have to become holy. I have to become godly because I've got uh, an organization of staff people and followers that will be directly impacted. And so if I don't sanctify myself, my people are going to suffer. And so uh, the more that you become like Jesus, the better it is for your people. And so um, you need to be constantly saying, God, in what area of my life have I not fully been sanctified yet? Maybe it's in my, uh, I can get a little cutting sometimes with people that that don't please me, that don't perform like I, I wanted them to. God, my tongue can just be really cruel sometimes. That's not been sanctified the way it ought to be. Uh, or, or maybe just my faith in you is not what it should be. And so I worry too much and I get too stressed. Uh, or God, maybe I'm, I'm too busy trying to please others instead of pleasing you. And that comes out. I, I become a people pleaser. And I'm not, I've, I've just never been sanctified the way I should in that area of my life. Uh, and so you, as we've said before, the, the problem sometimes when you don't become the man or woman that God wants you to be, you're not the only one who's going to pay the price for that. Everybody else will pay the price too because you weren't as sanctified as you should have been. So um, so I I, I just encourage leaders on a regular basis, take uh, John 17 out and just regularly go over it, hold yourself accountable to it, and assume that, think about all the people that you lead, whether it's just your kids and your family or whether it's in an organization that you manage, and say, Lord, if I were giving an account to God for the stewardship of the people in my life, would I, when I look at the different areas that Jesus held his, himself accountable, um, how, how do I measure up on that same scale? Yeah, well, it's a great passage, and uh, appreciate you taking us through it. And until next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackme.org.